Being freely and broadly yourself is a human right that all of us should have. Being openly queer at workplace is not always easy, and in too many countries it's still even illegal. While many of us are lucky enough to have our work support and encourage us to be our authentic selves, we still have a long way to go in bringing awareness, visibility, and freedom to the members of LGBTQIA community. Jump into Working with Pride, a podcast series that explores LGBTQIA topics in the workplace. Each episode includes a guest from the community, an ally, or an individual who works in the field of human rights. I'm your host, Jerry Virta, Content Operations Specialist at Folion. And honey, I'm as gay as it gets. Join me in the mission of spreading pride all year round. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Working with Pride podcast. It's already episode five, and I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has tagged along and listened to the past episodes. And if this is the first time you're listening, uh, you can find all episodes behind the link in the episode bio. But let's start today's episode. Today's guest is Felipe Folador, who is an award-winning filmmaker and visual storyteller with over 14 years of experience in the media production industry. Felipe's short documentary, The Drag Manifesto, has won awards in the US, Japan, Brazil, and France, including Best Documentary Short and Best LGBTQ Short, and he has a 10 out of 10 rating on IMBD. <laughs> Currently, Felipe is looking for new challenges and ideas for his next film project, which will surely be a huge success. Hi, Felipe. How are you doing today? Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the invite to participate on the podcast. Of course, super happy to have you on. Um, and I have to start by asking about your documentary, The Drag Manifesto, which you wrote and directed. Could you tell us a little bit about the project and how you came up with the idea for this documentary? Yeah, sure. So basically, the interesting thing was that back in 2020, when we were still uh, experiencing the beginning of um, COVID and how it was affecting you know, the workplace and how it was affecting everyone's lives, um, I slowly started to you know, have less work at my my company then because um of course i was a video producer and then there was we were still trying to figure out what can be done uh, with video we were you know figuring things out and that also started to give me the idea that how are other professionals experiencing covid and experiencing you know uh, how their work was affected so the um, there was a friend of mine who had started uh, doing drag here in amsterdam in the local scene in 2019. So he was a very young uh, drag performer by then. But it was interesting that he started to, we were starting, you know, we were chatting on WhatsApp and I was seeing a lot of his, uh, his attempts uh, to continue promoting his uh, drag art on Instagram, on, you know, on Instagram lives. He was performing a couple of lip syncs on YouTube. So he was trying to keep his drag um, performance active. And with that, I was kind of like, okay, so those people are affected, right? So dr- the drag performers in general were being affected as many other um, industries. And in the film, what I wanted to do was actually showcase, um, you know, what was going on with those people. So then basically with the, the first questions that they, my documentary poses is, where does my art form belong? And where can it be appreciated outside the expected realm? So basically... Once those track queens were not able to perform in clubs, they were not able, you know, to be in the community, how were they, you know, making this uh, work for them? And then basically, I wanted to understand what were their manifesto 
regardless of where their art was exposed. And also the idea was to bring light into the hospitality industry, which was also heavily affected. Uh, and that's why a lot of the scenes that I shot on the documentary, I shot at uh, a couple of empty hotels here in Amsterdam at, at the time. So 2020 was, nobody was coming here to Amsterdam. Um, so basically the the locations of the documentary are empty dance floors and empty hotels. And uh, was the was the, was the COVID also a challenge when working in the documentary? Because you like yeah, obviously like you got these these great venues for it, but was it also did it bring on some challenges as well? I think that I think that people were since everyone was kind of being challenged of you know of the status quo, what's going to happen. People were very friendly and very um, up for it. So uh, both the staff at Club Nix, which is an LGBTQ club here in Amsterdam. And also the Lloyd Hotel, they were very friendly and they quickly accepted my request because, of course, I, you know, was wondering if they could, you know, um, let us film there. And usually filming in certain locations is very difficult. But in that particular moment, since everybody was struggling, I think that they they saw that this is an opportunity to participate on a creative project. So that was very nice. Yeah. Definitely understandable. Uh, were you personally expecting this sort of reception uh, with all the all the awards and and ten out of ten? Yeah, well, it's funny because uh, um, first I, I I finished the film in 2020, I finished wrapping up the film in 2020, and I only started um, you know going on the festival trail in 2021. So it's usually you know it takes a little while for you to go into the festivals, etc. So um, I honestly. And it was, this was something that I was, you know, I, I do therapy and I was talking to my therapist that uh, usually when I'm doing, you know, I did a couple of films back in Brazil. I did this one now in 2020. Uh, usually the success, what success looks like for me with my career is the feeling that I have at the end of a, of a shooting. So I do remember at the end of the, the shooting of the Drag Manifesto, how ecstatic and happy I was because of shooting something that I really believed in believed in and it was nice to see then once I went to the festival trail that it started to collect a couple of awards along the way which I didn't expect so uh it was kind of like a plus it was not something that I was really like oh my god I need to win awards but of course if you are you know like a emergent filmmaker uh, the awards serve for you as a temple for you to, you know, get funding for your next film or, you know, uh, get attention of, you know, investors. So it was kind of like a, a, a nice chain of events that happened in 2021. And what's next for you now then? Uh, do you already have some ideas for your next projects or? So the thing is, recently I left my job at a large media company here in Amsterdam because I really wanted to dedicate a little bit of my time to my next project. Um, initially I was thinking, should I, uh, do something regards to, um, to Amsterdam or to the community, to the local community here, such as the drag manifesto. But then I started to think that I'm, I'm originally from Brazil and Brazil is currently going through a very big transition. You know, we just had a, a very big election in Brazil, which, uh, thankfully the previous president, uh, lost the election and he was known for being homophobic, misogynist, uh, transphobic. So uh, I'm going to Brazil in the upcoming months, in the end of uh, 2022. Uh, and I would like to start then researching um, the trans community. 
And I would really like to understand what, because Brazil is still the number one country that kills um, trans people in the world. Uh, and, and this is, and this is counting countries that, uh, being gay is still illegal or has death penalties. Um, and that was a reflection of, you know, a very inflammated speech by, um, the president, Bolsonaro president. Um, so I really want to focus on the trans community because it's a community that now with a new, uh, let's say social government, a more leftist government, uh, those social programs will start uh, to become part of the government again because they were uh, completely devastated uh, in the um, during Bolsonaro's administration. And that's why I would like to then tackle this transition between the two governments and also tackle the transition of these trans people themselves because we have now a lot of um, NGOs in Brazil that are taking care of uh, people from, you know, from the trans youth to older trans people who are only now figuring out uh, their their identity. So I would like to give back a little bit to my community in Brazil. Yeah, that sounds sounds very interesting and also very important work. Um, yeah. So looking forward to, to hearing from it more and, and seeing it in the future. Um, have you personally faced some challenge uh, during your career um, due to your sexual uh, orientation or identity? Yeah, for sure. I think that... Uh, I, if I would be able to separate into my, my career phases, of course, um, I'm fr originally from Brazil. Brazil is a very Catholic country and thus very tied to, you know, uh, some values of what a traditional should look like. So I did face a lot of bullying, uh, you know, ever since, you know, college days. But when I started working, um, the environment on a set can be very macho, can be very, um, uh, intimidating for whoever is, you know, a young, in my case, when I was younger, um, uh, a young filmmaker, emergent filmmaker. Um, and then on set, I was, you know, hostile. It was a hostile situation for me. I was called, I would be called names. Uh, and then I would have to, I was always very combative because, you know, from my bullying years, I became this, uh, I was never like, you know, putting my head down. I was always very confrontational. So whenever I started to go through those situations on sets, I would also be very like, okay, so, you know, you have something to tell me, tell it to my face. So I'm a little bit, um, let's say, too vocal. Uh, and I would never, you know, take uh, offense home. I would, you know, tackle head on. But of course, that only made it things escalate because people don't like when you are confrontational. They like when you're quiet. They like when you put your hair down and you don't complain. So in Brazil, I experienced more, like especially in the beginning of my career. Then when I went to, when I came to the Netherlands, uh, I had a, a couple of experiences here in the Netherlands as both a uh, startup environments, as, you know, a large scale uh, companies. And I cannot say that I did not experience some level of uh, underlying homophobia. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, uh, there is still uh, a lot of, you know, prejudice and bigotry. And unfortunately, there is, that's why we need, you know, committees within companies. That's why we need, um, you know, larger uh, initiatives that go throughout the entire year, not only, you know, June for Pride, or in the case of um, Amsterdam in August, 
that you know that you change your colors of the flag of your logo to support and then you don't do anything else um i think that i i experienced some very uncomfortable moments uh people asking you know questions they would never ask a straight colleague or a female colleague they would ask very uh crude questions that i don't think that were not at all on par with a, mm-hmm. a professional environment um and also i i i found it very interesting that whenever i was participating on on any sort of lgbtq plus community for a company i would always be seen as they not as you know as us so it's, it's there's still this very um distinctive separation mm-hmm. of whoever is working for inclusion um as if we are wanting more but we just want you know in the end equality mm-hmm. do you have some um some advice maybe for for lgbtqi folks who are maybe having the same challenges um in the workplace and maybe are not as vocal or or a little bit more uh maybe shy or or not um not that confrontational yeah i think that what's really important is to find uh their community right so to find the the people who will be able to then uh support them and that because of course together we are stronger so i i think that you we need, first we need to find who are our allies within a company with that i think that uh, i i can use an example from my previous my last employer we have a thing called the employee resource group that we had a minimum of people that had to participate in order for you to create this committee and then this committee started to create a couple of small uh, events uh some things to bring light into difficult subjects of course the engagement by the entire company is always not very successful i think there are uh, especially here in amsterdam or in the netherlands overall i think people have this misconception that we are we have already surpassed um you know prejudice or that we don't need any longer because you know the the gay rights have been uh, yeah. successfully embedded in the culture and i don't think that's true nope. because no wonder that we still need to have pride we still need to have you know committees such as um the one that i belong to to actually implement some ideas and to push forward for uh actual inclusion um for instance i had a situation in my last job that i was um directing a commercial uh and i was you know i was one of the few people identified as queer and i was able to bring a the first assistant was also queer um and later one of the managers uh asked oh but what difference does that make and i said well once you are on a set that i spoke earlier that it was a hostile environment if you're not you know uh, behaving in a certain way and then when you have similar minded people you feel more at ease you feel more um supported um and i found that question very very difficult to to swallow like what difference does it make and for me it was it was strange because that person also had an employee resource group for women mm-hmm. so i asked the same question what difference does it make that you have more women on set so you know sometimes i feel there is kind of a selective diversity inclusion so and sometimes people just vouch for whatever they just they want they feel that they need to vouch for 
when there's, I mean, I feel very empathetic towards a lot of minorities and a lot of misrepresented communities because I myself was also part of this um, uh, journey like that. So going back to the, the question, I feel that you need to find people who you can, can feel like-minded, that you can have a, a healthy discussion. Uh, I'm not saying that you cannot, uh, you know, talk to someone who has different opinions, because I think that also is positive if that person is, let's say, um, open for a discussion, because some people yeah. are simply not open at all. Yeah. Um, and in Amsterdam, I think that one of the things that are is very valuable for whoever has a business and uh, would like to feel, be more present for the community uh, Pride Amsterdam, which organizes uh, the yearly Pride, they have multiple um, activities throughout the year. Uh, also, to protect people from just, you know, using the what we call the pink money, uh, Pride Amsterdam also has a separate entity, which is called the Pride Business Club, which then allows you to then make a contribution. And then that contribution will allow you to participate on the, the Canal Pride. So that's also a way of securing that not only if you have the money, you can pay, but also you have to showcase that you are doing something mm -hmm. for the community, right? So you see uh, big companies such as Booking.com, you see uh, Google, etc. Those companies may not be doing the best, but they are contributing financially and also showcasing that they are truly investing uh, on the community. They're making progress uh, for diversity and inclusion. So you have to showcase that in order for you to become part of the Pride Amsterdam initiative. Yeah, and that's that's super important in my in my opinion. Just like like really showcasing and voicing your your support as well as a company uh, and also as an individual. Obviously, um, I always like to ask this question, uh, my guests: uh, What's your favorite part of being the LGBTQIA plus community? I really feel that you know I I like the idea of trying to make um let's say people who are maybe our allies or who are you know around the community that we are not you know we are not we don't know we don't want more <laughs> we want literally equality right we mm -hmm. want to be seen as equals mm -hmm. and we want to have the, the the space and the voice to become more active in the community to be respected so i feel that i, I like being part of this community when i feel that i'm supported and I feel that I can support others to 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 also uh, exercise their their freedom and their their exercise their their confidence of being part of a society and not feel always marginalized. Yeah, I like that. That's nicely put. Um, would you like to uh, tell our listeners where they can find you and your work? So basically, um, my my. Documentary The Drag Manifesto, um, since it, it concluded its uh, festival run, it's now available on YouTube. So you can just Google The Drag Manifesto, it's there. Uh, and my Vimeo account, uh, it's a little bit outdated. I need to, you know, uh, get back on there. But also uh, some of my previous work, uh, some of them are LGBTQI plus uh, related, some not. Uh, so on Vimeo, you can just uh, research Felipe Folador. And then you can find uh, my channel there as well with some of my my previous films as well. Perfect. Uh, do you have any final words to our listeners? Or something you want to end with? I think that 
what I, I would really like to say to whoever, you know, is wanting to become more active on the community or want to participate, I think that you just have to know that there are so many others and that you, once you find, um, you know, like-minded people, you will move forward. So I, I know that a lot of uh, small companies, don't, they don't have, you know, the resources to create communities, etc. But research ways outside of your work you know like there's a bunch of meetups i for instance myself i participate on a lgbtk plus book club that i then can you know discuss books uh by queer authors or with queer narratives and i think that studying um and knowing what's out there by our you know fellow queer people and supporting any sort of queer art i think is really important so we can actually move forward and we can actually make our, you know, voices and make our, uh, and, and let's say broaden our space within the community. Thank you, Felipe, for being here today. And thank you everyone for tuning in on this episode of Working with Pride. If you like it, make sure to subscribe and share. You can find all episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on Folion's social media. Until next time.